0: Welcome to The Travelcast, episode 391. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, I know we did a dog story last week, but, well, this story will seem like it's about dogs, but it's it's not. It's about, well, it's a gosh darn Drabblecast story, if you've ever heard one, that's for sure. We bring you Day of the Dog by Aaliyah Whiteley. Aaliyah lives in Sussex in the UK. Her stories have appeared in Strange Horizons, Interzone, Black Static, The Drabblecast, and in many other places. Her 2014 weird horror novella, The Beauty, was shortlisted for the Shirley Jackson Awards and also made the James Tiptree Jr. recommended reading list. Her latest fantasy novel, Skane Island, is currently available from Doghorn Publishing. So without further ado, we bring you Day of the Dog by Aaliyah Whiteley. The afternoon the mayor plugged in the world's largest air freshener. I was in a bar with Petey drinking orbitals. An orbital is a wheat beer with a dash of black currant. It's a slow drink. It gives the world a sepia tint, like everything that's happening actually happened long ago, back in the good old days before everything got so complicated. I was enjoying that sepia feeling, and Petey was talking about the time he ate a slug as a bet when the barman shushed him and turned up the volume on the television, which was on one of those metal arms that juts out of the wall, high up next to the dusty bottles of champagne and tin plates that always seem to, you know, end up on the top shelves of bars. The screen showed the mayor, standing next to a plinth, and on it was one big red button, a bit like you might get on a tacky quiz show. The camera pulled back and showed the crowd. I think everyone in town is there except for us, I said, and the barman shushed us again. The very first blanket coverage of air freshener to ever stretch across an entire town, making this a very proud moment for me, for you, and for every single one of us. A free, clean air for our free, clean town, making this a great place to raise your children, grow old, or simply sit outside and breathe in and out. And so, without further ado, I'm delighted to bring you the Pura Glade 3000, and I hope you all benefit from the Freshness it will bring to our wonderful town. He pressed the giant red button, and there was a moment of silence as everyone waited for their nostrils to report to their brains. Then there was an ah, and everyone sniffed and breathed and nodded, and while well, they smiled at each other, it obviously smelled great. The barman turned the volume back down. I guess this is the future, then, Alice, said Petey. Everyone's smelling the same thing? I wonder if it's pine, I said. I hate pine. And then it wafted it in through the open doorway, and we were breathing in lavender. Yes, I said. I love lavender. Admittedly, it was that synthetic lavender smell that got stuck in the back of your throat, but it was definitely better than pine. Ooh, now I can smell what my mother is smelling right at this moment. I'm smelling it too. We're all smelling it. Petey drained his orbital and banged down the glass. But what if I want to smell my own feces sometimes? What if I want to smell the rotting corpse of a cat that got run over? Shouldn't I be allowed to do that? Nobody wants to do that, said the barman. Another one? I shook my head. Come on, said Petey. Now nah, I've got to get going. i got to change my library books today. "'Oh, sure. Yeah, you'd better hurry before they change all the books to the same one. Nobody should be reading anything different, should they?' "'It's just a smell,' I told him. I stood up and shook out my skirt, hoping he'd notice my legs. Instead, he stared into his empty glass. "'I'm, uh, getting out of town before the stormtroopers arrive, I think,' he said. "'That's the orbital talking. I'll call you later.' He mumbled something, the barman and I exchanged glances, and then I left for the library. Outside, the sun was shining and everyone was smiling for the first time since I can remember when, maybe ever. The lavender smell was less noticeable in the open. It just gave the air a little extra niceness. I caught a whiff of it every now and again as I walked down the street, and it made me feel pretty good. Lavender has healing properties. It gets used in herbal pillows and sleeping remedies and stuff. You can have a very relaxing bath in it. And bees like it too, although I couldn't say if they liked synthetic lavender much. Outside the library, a dog was waiting for its master. It was on quite a short lead, tied to one of the railings, but it was in the shade, so I knew that wasn't the reason it was crying. When a dog cries, it's different from a bark or a howl. It's not even exactly a whimper. It's a soft, sad, unending sound. My dog made it all night after we got him neutered. He's dead now. He was my dog when I was a little girl. Every little girl should have a dog, I think. You'll never find a better friend. I knelt down next to the dog and held out my hand so he could sniff me. Then I rubbed that sweet spot dogs have between their ears, but he kept on crying. He was a spaniel, a cocker, with big brown patches and floppy ears. What is it, boy? I asked. His owner came out of the library. She was small and round and dressed in a sweater that looked far too warm in the sunshine. Her face was flushed. She had that pulled back expression that busy people get when they think time is slipping away from them. She came straight over to the dog and said, Oh, Teddy, I was only gone for a minute, honestly. He really misses you, I said. But the dog didn't wag his tail. He kept on crying. When she undid his lead and tugged at it, he wouldn't get up. He stayed sitting, head bowed. Come on, Teddy, she said. She reached down to him to pull him up by his collar, I suppose, and he turned and bit her. It was so weird, he didn't even growl. He got her palm and bit down and then just held on and she pulled back and there was this ripping sound and suddenly there was blood all over his mouth and her hand and she made this high-pitched squeal and fell over backwards, her arm against her chest. Teddy just licked his mouth with his long pink tongue. It was like he'd been given a treat. People came running down the steps of the library, and they gathered around Teddy's owner, who was still squealing, and in the distance I thought I heard a different dog barking. And then Teddy sat up and whined, and I realized it was the sound of a lot of dogs barking, and it was getting louder. Then the screaming started. I didn't say anything to Teddy's owner or to the crowd around her. To this day, I still feel horrible about that. But when you're in a life-or-death situation, you either discover that you really, really want to live, or you're prepared to watch other people die in order to accomplish that, or you discover that you think life is not worth living if you're not still all being nice to each other. (laughs) Anyways, having lived through that kind of situation, I can tell you that I'm definitely in the first group, and there's no point beating myself up about that. Instinct takes over. I ran as fast as I have ever run, flat out, back to the bar, and I saw things on the way that still haunt me. Bloody things, slimy things, and things that should have been parts of bodies, and bodies that should have had hands and feet, and the dogs feeding, crunching down, working their way through the townspeople. I hit that bar at a hundred miles a second and Petey and the barman were still there watching the town square on the television, their mouths hanging open as the dogs, you know, ripped through what was left of the crowd. I could see on their faces that they hadn't really... Grasped it yet. Not not yet. So I said, It's the air freshener. Gotta be the air freshener. And I closed the door behind me and dragged one of the long, thin tables that usually sits up against the window in front of it. Yes, I know dogs can't turn door handles, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. The dogs are. Petey said. Yeah. I walked up to him, took his face in my hands. Words spilled out of me like a script. The things I'd once practiced saying in the night, in the safety of a dark, empty bedroom. I've always loved you, right from kindergarten, even though you can be a moron sometimes, and I know that you're not good in an emergency. You couldn't even cope with eating a slug, for God's sakes. So I already know I'm going to have to take control in this situation to get us out alive, and that's fine. You don't owe me anything. You don't have to say you love me back. You just, you have to shut up and do what you're told. And I know that doesn't come easily for you, so please try hard, okay? I dropped my hands away from his stunned expression and looked at the barman. He returned my gaze without a qualm. I marked him down as useful. What's your name? Marcus, he said. Got any weapons around here? He smiled, crouching down behind the bar and straightened up again with one hunting knife and one baseball bat. Yeah, will these do? Yeah, nice. It never hurts to be prepared. Right, so here's the plan. We need to get out of town. I happen to know that the woman who owns the hairdressers next door keeps her Range Rover parked out back. Now the shop was shut, so she must have gone to the plugging-in ceremony this morning, which means that she's dog meat by now too, so let's hope she left her keys in the car and if not… Hey, I can hotwire a car, said Marcus. I'm liking you more and more, Marcus. No, wait. Said Petey. Instead of leaving town, we should try to stop the smell, right? Then the dogs will go back to normal and people will be saved? We, we could drive the car into the big air freshener and smash it to pieces. We'd be heroes. <laughs> okay. Look, the only person I'm acting the hero for today is you, Petey. I told him. And that's a stupid plan. We're not doing it. Firstly, the smell won't just dissipate because we've smashed the freshener. Second, look at the TV. Are you seeing that? There were more dogs arriving by the second, and some of them were carrying bits of people in their mouths, while others just dove into the bodies and ripped off gobbets of fat or pulled out long, meaty strands of intestine. Behind us, there was a yipping sound. A terrier stood by the front door. I crouched down and eyeballed him through the legs of the long table. He scratched at the glass and whined like a good boy, waiting to be let inside by his master. Oh, I'm not falling for that. I said. The terrier sat down and waited. His tongue lolled out. He cocked his head to one side as if he was thinking hard about something. Listen, it could work, whispered Petey, close to my right ear. He crouched down, too, and he put one hand on my knee. For a moment, I didn't smell lavender anymore. I smelled him, that lovely, innocent Petey smell. I took his hand from my knee, stood up, and chose the hunting knife. Marcus nodded and took up the baseball bat. "'You're gonna do this my way,' I said to Petey. "'No choice.' "'Wait, who made you boss? "'You always got picked last for dodgeball. "'When you announced you were going to run for class president, "'everyone laughed until you sat down again. "'Well, this isn't school again, Petey.' "'That's right,' he said with a triumphant finger point, as if he'd just won the argument. Then he looked out at the terrier, and I saw real fear cross his face. He was finally beginning to understand the situation. The little dog had been joined by a big one that I recognized. Miss Turner's Great Pyrenees, Holly.'" "'It had the sweetest temperament, and thick white fur that was so soft to the touch. "'I used to give it a stroke whenever I passed Miss Turner on her porch. "'She loved to chat with whoever was walking by, and Holly adored being stroked. "'But now Holly's fur was matted with blood, and Miss Turner was probably half-eaten on her porch, "'calling out through her terrible pain for help and wondering where the hell it all went wrong.'" I pointed the knife at Peedy. Get up. We're moving. We're going out through the back. Marcus, you take point. Right, said Marcus, and I followed his broad shoulders to the storeroom with Peedy grumbling all the way. Marcus threw his weight against the emergency exit bar and flung the door back. The daylight dazzled, and for a moment I couldn't see a thing. Then I made out the alley with stacked orange crates of empty bottles and the smell of lavender swamped under the odor of stale beer. There were no dogs waiting for us. We only saw them when we got to the end of the alley, and they were there, sitting around the hairdresser's Range Rover as if they'd known the plan all along. I counted at least twenty, from a tiny chihuahua to a gore-covered Great Dane who had half a baby stuck in its teeth. Jesus, I said. Yeah, I'm going back, announced Petey. "'They're staying by the car, though,' said Marcus. "'Why's that? They should be after us, and they're not.' And that's when it came to me. "'The smell! The beer smell! Come on!' I retreated back down the alley, and selected from the nearest crate a bottle of beer with an inch still sloshing around. I poured it over Petey's head, then selected another for myself. Marcus got the idea, too, and joined in. You've lost it, said Petey, and I dragged him back to the entrance to the alley and marched him to the Range Rover all the time, hoping I was right and pretending that I knew the stale beer trick was going to work. And it did. The dogs growled and backed off, even the Great Dane, and the car was unlocked, and I threw Petey on the back seat and took the front passenger seat while Marcus got behind the wheel and groped around under the dashboard. The engine started, an educated purr that suited such an expensive car, and I have to admit I really enjoyed the sensation of being ferried around town in that huge, wonderful wagon, hearing the occasional dog go splat under the wheels. We made it to the edge of town, and up ahead was a roadblock with tanks and soldiers and a few townspeople I recognized, hanging around, crying and nursing flesh wounds. Marcus pulled over and stopped the car. I turned round to Petey. It's gonna be okay, I said. It's gonna be okay now. Yeah, he said. He stared at his hands in his lap. Thanks. And I knew, in that moment, that in all possible futures that lay before us, there wasn't one in which Petey and I would ever get married, have kids, live a wonderful life together. He would never forget the things I'd done that day. He'd never get over the fact that I saved him. 48 years later. Are you ready? Ready? I said. Marcus nodded. I stroked his cheek through the balaclava. Even after all these years, he still looked darn fine in his action gear. He worked out five times a week and attended a local dojo at the weekend. And I did my bit too, being 70 really wasn't so bad as long as we both kept moving and popped the pills. Sometimes I have to admit, I wondered what we kept moving for. Particularly after the kids left home and the government work dried up. I mean, we could have opted for a couple's euthanasia program and our pensions would have covered it. No backstreet doctor skimping on the morphine for us, but we felt there was still something lying up ahead. And we were so right. Now... I smeared the putty across the window frame, then gave the glass a soft tap. It came free, and Marcus caught it, and laid it down on the well-kept lawn, where it reflected the glint of the full moon. We repeated the process with the inner pane, and then it was just a matter of climbing inside, disabling the alarm system, and locating our target. We found him sleeping in the basement, propped on a stool in front of his own very private mahogany bar, an empty martini glass in front of him with a little pink paper umbrella leaned against the lip. From my viewpoint on the stairs, looking at his slim back and curly brown hair, he looked the same as ever. It was only when I spoke and he swiveled to face me that I realized time had caught up with him too. In fact, it had chased him down and savaged him, scoring his face with deep lines that ran from his eyes to his sagging chin. Petey, I said, you should have known better. Got any wheat beer? Marcus touched my shoulder and we moved into the room to join Petey at the bar. Once behind it, Marcus looked comfortable, pulling off his balaclava and searching through the covers. Got the beer and some black currant cordial. Perfect. Make me an orbital, will ya? And one for our host. I hadn't had one since that day when the dogs turned bad. I wondered if it was going to be as amazing as I remembered. It had been heaven, with the sunshine coming through the windows and the local news channel playing on the television above the row of optics, running some piece about a new sculpture commissioned for the town hall, or a change to the train timetable. What are you doing here, Alice? Said Petey, as his orbital was placed in front of him. Funnily enough, he didn't look that surprised to see me. There was a settled air of resignation in the way his shoulders slumped. (laughs) <laughs> you thought you could start it up all over again and we wouldn't find out? It's, it's totally different this time around, it's got nothing to do with you. Petey, 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 I said, and I realized how hard the years had made me, that I could speak to him, my lost first love, in that tone of voice. I hated myself, as I told him. After you walked away from me that day, Marcus and I started stamping out the global market in mass smells for a living. Of course, we had to let some other people die, or get actively involved in making them dead in order to save the important ones, but that's life all over, isn't it, sweetie? Oh, is it, said Petey. I sipped my orbital, It was not as I remembered it, to be honest. Maybe Wheat Beer had changed over the past 40 years. I don't understand you, to be honest. You opted out. You didn't want to save anyone, so why have you suddenly decided to start killing them? They're two sides of the same coin. If you don't like one, you won't enjoy the other. Alice, nobody's gonna die. (laughs) Oh, they will when you plug in that giant air freshener tomorrow morning. How did you talk the townsfolk into it? Our memory's so short nowadays. How did you get elected mayor anyways? Surely running a town requires a backbone. He stood up, his knees wobbling. He was already so drunk he could hardly stand. It's not an air freshener, he said with a burst of venomous energy. It's a deodorizer. A what? It removes all smells. Don't you understand? All smells. No more plug-in, pine-fresh scents. No more all trying to smell like the same thing. We are all going to smell nothing but real, true smells. (laughs) This town will be united in our clean, unbothered nostrils. Yeah, well, what about the dogs? What about them? It's got nothing to do with dogs, Alice, don't you get it? There won't be any smell to upset the dogs. This is not about the fucking dogs. His legs gave out, and he slumped to the floor. It's about you. It's about you and me. And what you took away from me. You and me? There's more important stuff out there than you and me. You don't know what will happen when you turn that giant deodorizer on. You have no idea. Oh, that's right. He dropped his head to his chest. For a moment, I thought he was asleep, but then I heard a quiet, soft sobbing, and there was a pain in my heart, the kind I hadn't felt for years. I looked up at Marcus, and he nodded. Good old Marcus, my dependable hero of a husband, knowing me better than I knew myself. With his approval, I felt no problem with kneeling down beside Petey, stroking his hair, whispering to him of the things I had been thinking all these years. Remember that slug you ate? You were so obsessed with the fact that you'd eaten the slug. You'd taken that bet. He straightened up. You think I should have taken... I should have been taking more bets? (laughs) No, you complete moron, that's just my point. The slug never mattered. You're looking at the details of your life and trying to make sense of them, right? Trying to understand that day so many years ago when the dogs, well, they all turned on us and I got you out of town, but that day was just like the day you ate the slug. It didn't mean anything, and you can't make it mean something no matter what you do. You'll always be that guy who survived, and being a survivor is just the same as being dead with a longer sell-by date on the top of your packet. I mean, that's all. That's not true, he shouted. You ruined me. I could have saved everyone. We could have made it to the town square and destroyed that freshener, and those people would still be alive. It was too late, Petey. It wasn't. He took a deep breath and smiled at me. I saw the boy once again in that smile. It really wasn't. Well, in that case, I'm sorry, Petey. I'm sorry I stopped you from saving everyone. But now you have a chance to be a real hero. You can get a whole new set of people out of danger. Give up on the deodorizer. You plug that thing and who knows what the hell will happen. Let's not find out, okay? I helped him up and we sat back on our stools, side by side, with Marcus behind the bar, pretending to mind his own business, just like old times. Thanks, Petey said. He sighed. But what happens if I say no? I glanced at Marcus. Well, something not nice. Wow, really? You let your friend here do something not nice to me? He's not my friend, Petey, he's my husband, and I'd do it myself. He took a big gulp of his orbital. I followed suit. I always did wonder about that slug. If that was the one moment that I was nearly a different person, I guess I'll never know now. So what's your answer, Petey? Yeah, should I be a hero your way or my way? do you mean you know I think it won't mean anything if I don't do it my way Right? I said have it your way Petey That was our story. (laughs) You ever feel like the right hand just can't talk to the left? Not much good can come out of that scenario. In the end, both hands wind up getting ripped off by schnauzers. Let's get to our 100-character story contest winner this week. This one here by Monsieur Mustache. Here we go. The devil visits my mother Fridays. She's a good woman, leader, churchgoer, altruist, Yet, she looks forward to Friday. Nice. 100 characters, we call them twabbles. We hold a weekly contest in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. Go there and get thee into the twabble section under short stories. Write a 100 character story, not counting spaces. You might be next week's winner. Follow the Drabblecast on Twitter at Drabblecast to get a sneak peek at our weekly winners early and other fun stuff. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you get our podcast. We greatly appreciate it. If you enjoyed our story this week and would like to consider donating to the Travelcast to help support us and keep us going, go to Travelcast.org. You'll find numerous support options there, including a $10 a month automatic subscription, which gives you access to Travelcast B-sides, an extra episode a month. Check it out, Travelcast.org. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Toe Keen. Born in the UK, raised in the US, Toe Keen is currently terrifying as many people as possible in Spain. Lover of wine, women, and song, he's currently shredding canvas as he preps a disgusting graphic novel. Thanks, Toe. We appreciate the awesome cover art. Our program this week was brought to you by Samantha Henderson, Sandra O'Dell, Beau Kier, Melissa Harvey, Zimmerman Bledsoe, an old empty baby carriage left out in the rain, Jason Smith, Jen Fisher, Tom Baker, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, when you're in a life-or-death situation, you either discover that you really, really want to live, or you're prepared to watch other people die in order to accomplish that. Each charted course, each careful step,